Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a show for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. I'm your host, Nikki, and today's film is a bit of a departure from our October classics that we just did. I'm actually coming up on the end of my birthday weekend here. It's 2 a.m. exactly, and I just got home from being prodded to go out on a Sunday night, but here I am on November 1st, Halloween night, with you. See how much I love y'all? Anyway, in honor of my slow and graceful ascension into cougarhood, we're going to watch one of the most famous cougar films of all time. We've been to the 40s, 50s, and 80s. But here, we'll find ourselves comfortably on a velvet couch with a cup of tang and our favorite go-go boots on. We're in the 60s. It's 1967, baby. We're in the middle of the Vietnam War. There's political unrest. The fight for civil rights in America is a blazing inferno. But... None of that exists in the upper middle class world of Mike Nichols' classic romantic dramedy that we're covering today, The Graduate. Never heard of it? Well, have you heard the name Mrs. Robinson before? If you haven't, calling a lady Mrs. Robinson is like the white equivalent of of being like, hey, Miss Parker, you know, she's a little aged like wine, but damn, she fine, that kind of vibe. So this film was nominated for and won a number of awards, including the Academy Award for Best Director, and is considered the 17th best film of all time by the American Film Institute. It was released in December of 1967, and still being released in December was the highest grossing film of the year worldwide. Now, I want to get into this plot ASAP because it's so good and we have a lot to talk about, but you know we have to go through our cast first. Now, apparently when the women in Hollywood start heard about this Mrs. Robinson role, a bunch of them wanted it. This was 1967, and many of our favorite film starlets of yesteryear were getting older, still gorgeous, but past Hollywood's idea of their prime. And this sexy, mature role was definitely the talk of the town. Mike Nichols' first choice for Mrs. Robinson, who was supposed to be in her early to mid-40s, was French actress Jean Moreau, who was 39 at the time. Now, I'm going to name a couple of actresses who were either considered for or wanted this role, and I'm going to tell you their ages, and this is really important, and I'll tell you why. So the motivation for him wanting to hire Jean Moreau was this cliche that in French culture, older women tended to bring the younger men into their sexuality and ultimately into their manhood, um, but she wasn't available to play the role. And numerous actresses were also considered for or wanted a role in the film. Doris Day, who was 45, Joan Crawford, who was 63, Lauren Bacall, my favorite actress of the time, who was 43, Audrey Hepburn, who was 38, Sophia Loren, 33, Judy Garland, 45, Rita Hayworth, 49, Angela Lansbury, 42, and Ava Gardner, 45, all either sought or asked about or were looked at for the role of Mrs. Robinson. But Nichols ultimately ended up choosing Anne Bancroft because he wanted a younger woman. And Anne Bancroft was 35. 
and Ava Gardner, of course, and a lot of these actresses were in their late 30s, early 40s. Interestingly enough, they actually offered the role of Mrs. Robinson and Elaine, her daughter, both to Natalie Wood. And I don't know if you know Natalie Wood, but she was gorgeous. But she was also 29 at the time. But she turned both of the roles down. Now, note I said that Mrs. Robinson, who was supposed to be in her early to mid 40s, Nichols wanted a younger woman to play her and ultimately picked Anne Bancroft, who was 35 years old. Meanwhile, Dustin Hoffman was 29 years old playing 20-year-old Ben Braddock. A 35-year-old woman played a woman in her early to mid-40s and a 29-year-old man played a 20-year-old boy. The patriarchy, man. <laughs> As you know, we don't run through the whole cast. We run through the main people. So we have Anne Bancroft playing Mrs. Robinson. Dustin Hoffman is playing Benjamin Braddock. Catherine Ross plays Elaine Robinson. William Daniels plays Mr. Braddock. Murray Hamilton plays Mr. Robinson. And Elizabeth Wilson plays Mrs. Braddock. Um, Mr. Braddock, William Daniels, May sound like a familiar name to you. When we get into the movie, you might see why. Now that we have our players, we are ready to press play. So our film begins on a cold open, zoomed in on Benjamin Braddock with a pensive, empty look on his face. As we zoom out, we can hear the landing announcement from the pilot as he arrives home on a plane back to Pasadena, California from his East Coast college. As the pilot finishes the announcement, we cut to the opening credits quickly, accompanied by the visual of Ben on the airport's moving sidewalk as The Sounds of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel plays. And he keeps the same withdrawn look on his face. Now, quick fun fact, this song, The Sounds of Silence, was originally just used as a placeholder during editing until they could complete an original soundtrack. Usually, films at the time made original songs. However, they liked this so much and it grew on them, and they couldn't picture the film without the song. It was really uncommon at the time to use pre-existing songs for a soundtrack, but the blend of the visual and the audio made for an iconic opening sequence. So this is why they ended up asking Simon and Garfunkel to do their whole soundtrack. The sequence continues as the song plays with Ben retrieving his luggage and making his way through the airport, LAX, and as the song ends, we settle in on another close-up of Ben sitting in the dark. His broody moment is interrupted by his dad, Mr. Braddock, played by William Daniels. Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. So his name is Mr. Braddock, of course, but he's not in the movie that much. So I'm just probably going to call him Mr. Feeney whenever I talk about him because it's just easier for me and for you guys. So there's a party going on in celebration of Ben's graduation, and there's a ton of people at the house. Now, we know that these parties, quote unquote, in honor of someone, especially when they're thrown by our parents, is really just an excuse for them to drink and hang out. And Ben tells his dad that he's in a rut because he really doesn't want to know what he's going to do next in his life. He just knows he wants it to be different than what people kind of expect to happen after college, the regular get a job, get married, have kids kind of life thing. But as he's brooding and not wanting to go out and hang out, his mom comes in and 
between his mom and his dad, they're able to coax him out into the party. And he walks around looking for a way to go outside, looking for a way to get out to his car, any way to escape again. He keeps running into his parents' friends who all pretty much have the same question for him. What are you doing now? What are you gonna do? A question that he has no answer to at this time. So after making a quick round around the party, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, so he just uncomfortably slinks back to his room upstairs to hide out again. Just as he's staring into his fish tank, getting another breather, his door opens and here we meet Mrs. Robinson who proclaims, oh, this isn't the bathroom. Ben kind of tries to advise her on where the bathroom is very kindly, but she goes on and walks into his room, says how nice his room is, sits on the bed and asks him if he has an ashtray. He says no, he doesn't smoke or drink, of course. So she just proceeds to light her cigarette and just ash it on his bed. He's clearly irritated, but he tries to be polite because this is his parent's friend and he sets a trash can next to her. She looks at him and asks him, is it a girl? He's confused, of course, but she asks him more clearly, is it a girl that you're upset about? Because he clearly seems upset. He tells her he's just disturbed by things in general. She nods, gives him a dry ass congratulations on congratulation, on graduating, excuse me, and leaves the room. Not five seconds after she leaves, she comes back and asks if he can drive her home because her husband left with the car. He gives his keys to her and tells her she can take the car and just bring it back the next day. But he has an Alfa Romeo, which is a foreign and a stick shift. So she's like, uh, no. So he agrees to take her and she throws the keys back at him, but actually yeets them into his fish tank. Cause boy, I asked you to drive me home. Now drive me home. He drives her home. They pull up to the house. She thanks him, but she does not move because she's waiting for him to open that car door. He realizes it, gets out, gets the door for her, but then she asks if he can walk her to the door since she's by herself. Walks her to the door, then she asks if he can walk her in since it's dark and she's alone. He notes to her that there's obviously lights on in the house, but she just wants him to walk her in anyway. So they get in the house and he's ready to dip and she offers him a drink. Now I said he doesn't drink. He's irritated for real now, so he tells her that he just came to drive her home and he wants to go back home. She insists that he have a drink and stay until her husband arrives, even though she doesn't know when he's going to come home. When he finally accepts the drink, she puts on some music, sits on a bar stool, and asks him what he thinks of her. He gives her a dry-ass answer, basically saying, yeah, I think you're a nice person. She goes, did you know I was an alcoholic? At this point, he's like, okay, I'm going to just go. Bye. This is a weird conversation. And if your husband come home, but she reiterates to him again that her husband will not be home for hours. So now he's like, oh, no, no. (laughs) I see what's up. She's like, what are you talking about? But, okay, I need you to picture it. So she's sitting on a stool at the bar in her home, and she has on like a thigh-length dress. She has her feet resting on the footrest of the stool next to her, but she takes one leg and kind of props it up onto the seat of the stool so you can you can't see her underwear but you can see the tops of her thigh highs under her dress because her dress is riding up and she is giggling at how nervous he is he's pacing back and forth and he's like you make me a drink you put on music you telling me all your personal business you telling me your husband isn't gonna be home for hours you trying to seduce me mrs robinson and she is just laughing at him aren't you She says, I wasn't even thinking about that. 
And he immediately gets embarrassed, starts to apologize for everything that he just said. She coaxes him to drink to calm his nerves. And then she asks him if he'd like to go upstairs to see the portrait that they had painted of their daughter, Elaine. He's so jumpy and nervous that he's like, yes, let us go look at that. <laughs> they get up to Elaine's room and Ben is looking at this painting super hard, observing it because he wants to talk about anything except what just happened. Meanwhile, Miss Robinson is taking off her jewelry. She asks Ben to come over and help her with her zipper on her dress. He's still jumpy and like, all right, I think I'm gonna go home. Mrs. Robinson asks Ben if he's still worried that she's trying to seduce him. And then she's like, do you want me to seduce you? Is that what this is? He's like, no. She's like, well, then help me with my dress. He helps her with the dress. Then he quickly tries to exit for the fifth time. Before he can get out that door downstairs, Miss Robinson calls down and asks if he can bring her purse upstairs. But she's in the bathroom. He tries to set it at the bottom of the steps, in the middle of the steps, on the top of the steps. But Mrs. Robinson is like, boy, if you don't stop being nervous, then bring me my damn purse. She finally tells him to just put it in Elaine's room where we were before, since you don't want to come in here. He goes in to put the purse down, and Miss Robinson rushes into the room, fully naked, 100% naked, no nothing on, and closes the door behind her. He turns around, and he's like, oh, Lord, Mrs. Robinson, please just let me out. I was not ready for this. But she's like, look, I like you, and I want you. So if you ever want some of this, just call me, and you can get it. It's available to you whenever, because I think you're cute. This is just an option to you, okay? So while she's talking, he can hear Mr. Robinson pulling up outside. So he runs downstairs, but he can't make it outside. So he just grabs his drink like he was chilling while Mrs. Robinson was upstairs. He comes in, and as Mrs. Robinson comes back downstairs with all of her clothes back on for the night, Mr. Robinson is talking to Ben, telling him that he needs to chill, sow his wild oats, take some time to be free, just not worry for a while. He also suggests that Ben take his daughter Elaine out when she comes back home to visit from Berkeley. Ben ends up leaving and he is super panicked. A few days later, Ben's parents are throwing a birthday barbecue for his 21st birthday. He is 21, y'all. As Ben's dad is giving this grand speech about him, he's behind the, store, the door telling Mr. Feeney, I need a minute. But Mr. Feeney is not listening to him. They call Ben out and he is wearing his birthday gift, a full scuba suit, like the mask, the fins, the little scuba stick, all that. He walks out and can't hear anyone because he's in a scuba suit. But he walks over to the water, dives underneath and kind of like swims around for a second. He tries to come back up, but his dad keeps pushing him back down under the water, thinking like it's funny. Eventually, he just gives up and just stands at the bottom of the pool, breathing in through the oxygen mask. And I think he's just kind of enjoying being by himself for a second, especially because his parents are so irritating. So now he needs something to spice up his life. So he's in the next scene at the Taft Hotel at a payphone calling Mrs. Robinson. He kind of beats around the bush a little bit, but she quickly tells him that she'll be there in an hour. He fidgets around pretty nervously while he waits. He ends up having a few cigarettes and drinks because now he smokes and drinks, but she finally arrives. He sits with her to have a drink, but he's really kind of nervous and dopey about it. And after ordering a drink, she asks him if he's gotten a room yet. 
He hasn't yet. So she asked, you know, do you want me to get it or are you going to get it? What's going on? He goes up to get it, acting very nervously and going by the name Mr. Gladstone at the front desk. He finally gets the room and calls the bar to speak to Mrs. Robinson from the payphone right outside of the bar. This man is acting like he is doing like undercover work and it's not even that serious. But he tells her that, that he thinks that the desk clerk was suspicious of what I don't know. But she tells him, just go ahead up and I'll just come up in a few minutes. Don't even worry about it. He gets ready to hang up and she says, you know, do you have anything to tell me? And he's like, you know, I just want to thank you for this opportunity, Miss Robinson. You are so nice. And she's like, no, baby, I need the room number. So he gives her the room number. She tells him she'll be up in a few. He goes up to the room. First, he turns the light on, but it seems a little too bright for him. So he turns that off and then just kind of turns the light on in the bathroom and leaves the door half cracked so there's light shining into the room. She finally comes in and immediately flips all the lights on, but he turns them back off because he's set his little mood that he wants. She lights a cigarette and takes a drag and she leans forward against the dresser. This dodo walks up behind her and taps her on the shoulder, kind of coughs, and then decides to just kiss her right after she takes a pull on her cigarette. So she's just standing there waiting for him to pull away so she can blow the smoke out of her mouth. And he's not even really kissing her. He just has his lips on her lips and they look really awkward. She tells him she's going to go ahead and take her clothes off. And he's like, well, what should I do? What do you want me to do? And he's like, she's like, do you want to watch? And he's like, yep, thank you. Okay, I will. She is, Miss Robinson, I need y'all to understand, is smooth like butter. This woman is like the epitome of sex appeal. And this little boy is so dopey and 21 and nervous. It's somewhere between annoying and cute. And I don't really know where it is on that spectrum, but it's a little bit of both. So she starts to get undressed. And after she takes her shirt off, he just kind of puts his hand on her titty real awkwardly. But she sees a stain on her shirt and starts trying to rub the stain off. So then he has a, he starts having a whole crisis walks away from her and starts banging his head against the wall and says he can't do this because he respects his parents too much and it feels too wrong. So she's like, can I ask you a personal question? Are you a virgin? And he's like, what? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so she's like, yo, it's okay if you are. I mean, it's fine. Just because you're inadequate in one way. And he's like, inadequate? So she starts putting her clothes on like, well, I guess you just want me to go. It's fine. But he's like, hold the hell on. And she looks out of the corner of her eye like, oh, this boy finna, okay, he finna go off. So he walks over to the bathroom door, slams the door shut. So now the room is in complete darkness. And we hear, hello, darkness, my old friend, as the sounds of silence starts up again. And we fade in on a beautiful blue pool. Ben is chilling, floating. But it isn't his house. It's Miss Robinson's house. And he has been giving it to her on the regular. Now, understand when these songs play, there's only four Simon and Garfunkel songs in this film. And they typically play at least half, if not the whole song, and feature no dialogue. And these songs are played multiple times. During this song, we get a beautiful jump cup montage that cuts to close-ups of Ben's face and either they pull out to him with Mrs. Robinson at her home or at the hotel 
or they pull out to him at home, staring pensively into space at nothing with that same empty look on his face. He always has the same dry-ass empty look, whether he's with Mrs. Robinson or by himself. The sounds of silence fades into April Come She Will, and the montage continues. The sequence lasts a total of five minutes, and one of my favorite parts of the sequences shows him getting up, walking past his mom into the kitchen to go out to the pool. Then as soon as he jumps in, he swims over to a pool floaty and splashes out of the water on top of it. But when we hear the splash, the scene quickly cuts to Ben flopping on top of Mrs. Robinson after a session. So you know what that splash sound means. Then as we see him on top of Mrs. Robinson, we hear the voiceover of his father, you know, Mr. Feeney, asking what he's doing, which is really startling with the image. But then there's another quick cut to Mr. Feeney standing over Ben while he lounges in the pool at home. Now, it's been a few weeks since he's been back, and his dad is asking if he's planning to go to grad school, get a job, anything. And he's just kind of like, no, I'm just kind of chilling. His dad tells him, um, after kind of reaming him out for not doing anything right now, he announces that the Robinsons are there to visit. And Mr. Robinson, for the second time, has suggested that Ben take his daughter Elaine out when she comes to visit. Back at the hotel with Mrs. Robinson, she is trying to get those lights off to get to business, but Ben wants to talk because apparently they never talk and basically just have sex and bacon every time they meet up. She's asking him about college, but he doesn't want to talk about that at all. He never wants to talk about school. Then she suggests that they talk about art, but then says she doesn't really know anything about it and doesn't really want to talk about anything. So can they just do it? So he decides to ask about her husband and how she manages to get out of the house at night to see him. She tells him that her and her husband have separate bedrooms so she doesn't really have to sneak. Now, Ben is very interested when he realizes that they don't have sex, so he asks why she's married to him. After tiptoeing around it, she reveals that they got married when she got pregnant with Elaine. He also asks her what her major was in college when she got pregnant, and she looks away from him and tells him that it was art. And she looks sad because, you know, earlier she said she doesn't know anything about art. So sad. But Ben is over the moon finding out that classy ass Miss Robinson was getting busy in the back of a Ford back in the day and makes a comment about how Elaine came to be in the car. Miss Robinson asks him not to talk about Elaine. He decides to make a joke about asking Elaine out on a date and Mrs. Robinson literally grabs him by his hair and tells him he better not ever ask her out. Ben never wanted to ask her out, but he asks if Miss Robinson thinks that he's not good enough for Elaine and after a pause, she says yes, but you can tell that she don't mean it. She just really liked that boy, but she don't feel like explaining that to him. So he gets pissed and starts to get dressed. He's calling her a broken down al alcoholic, saying he don't even like coming to see her. This whole thing is disgusting and sick, and he only does it because he's bored. So she tells him basically that he misunderstood, and she only thinks that they wouldn't be well suited for each other, not that he's not good enough. But she understands that he's disgusted with her, so she'll leave. As she starts to get dressed, he starts backpedaling, of course, because he's seeing her put on her stockings and it looks sexy. And he's apologizing, saying he didn't mean those things. He was only upset and he does indeed enjoy seeing her. It's the best thing in his life at the time. So she looks happy. 
He tells her he wants her to stay. However, she makes him promise that he won't ask Elaine out. After he promises, she's relieved, but Ben does not like being told what to do, and she can tell that she's made him kind of unhappy. Now she wants to start a convo with him, but he tells her he doesn't want to talk. So they just both kind of silently and sadly undress to get ready to have sex. In the very next scene, like two seconds later, Ben's dad is like, you need to take Elaine out on a date. He tries to ignore it. Then he tells them, look, me and Elaine just don't get along. It's not, it's not happening. His mom is like, oh, well, if you don't want to go out with her, I'll just have to invite the Robinsons over and we'll just have a family dinner together. Of course, Ben does not like that because that shit is going to make him uncomfortable. So he decides to go on the date. The next scene, we find Mrs. Robinson watching TV and she is livid because Ben is coming to pick Elaine up. When Mr. Robinson goes up to get her, Ben quickly tries to explain to her and apologize and tell her this is only this one time. I'm sorry this is something that I had to do, but Mrs. Robinson is not hearing it. She is mad, mad. Anyway, Elaine comes down and they leave, but Miss Robinson looks literally close to tears. He is driving on the highway fast as hell with the top down, and he's answering all her questions with one word answers, so convo is definitely not happening between the two of them. Then, as they're walking to the club after he parks, he's about two or three steps ahead of her the whole time, and she has to jog to keep up with him. Then they get inside, and this man has taken her to a strip club and got a table right by the stage. She's clearly uncomfortable, but he's sitting up there like an asshole with sunglasses on, staring at the stage. Elaine asks Ben if he dislikes her, and he's like, why would I? And she's like, I don't know. So the stripper starts twirling her titty tassels, and Ben is like, oh, you're missing the good part. The stripper, for some reason, sees that and takes that as a cue to come over and twirl her titties and her titty tassels right over this poor girl head. Her tassels is literally hitting this girl in the head, which Ben is just letting happen until he sees that she is crying. Elaine gets up, runs out, and of course, Ben has to get up and chase after her. She's running to go find a car so they can go home, and Ben is trying to get her to slow down. He finally gets her to stop, and he tells her that his parents made him go on his date, which of course doesn't make her feel good about the situation, but he says that that's why he was so angry about it, and he felt like he had to be an asshole. And he hates himself being like this. He asks her if she'll stop crying. And she says, no, I won't. So he kisses her. So she looks kind of startled, but she doesn't push him away. And they end up going to a drive-in diner. And they're deep in conversation about how they don't know what they want to do with their lives. And they kind of feel like they have to be rude all the time. Because the rules of life just don't make any sense to them right now. When he goes to drop Elaine off, she asks him if he wants to come in for coffee. He, of course, does not want to go in that house, and he says he just doesn't want to wake anyone up, but maybe they can go find another place to drink. So as they're driving off, she recommends the Taft Hotel, which makes him literally swerve off the road. And they get to the hotel. He says he's never been there before, but all of these people keep passing by him and saying, hello, Mr. Gladstone, hi, Mr. Gladstone, as if he's a regular. And you know his name is Braddock, but he's like, He gets uncomfortable and he's like, I don't know why all these people keep calling me Mr. Gladstone. But he goes ahead and uh, tells her that they can just leave. As he's driving away from the hotel, he stops and he tells Elaine that he does like her, but he's just got some messed up stuff going on and his whole life is a waste right now. 
She point blank asks him if he's having an affair and he admits it partially. He says that it was a married woman who has a son and Elaine asks if it was over and he says yes. He drives her home and they have kind of this cute moment in the doorway and he tells her he's going to pick her up the next day so they can go for a drive. He pulls up the next day and it is pouring raining. The car door opens. Mrs. Robinson gets in and tells him, pull up the block. He tries to tell her, I'm here to pick up Elaine, but Ms. Robinson is pissed and she's like, pull up the block. She tells him he is forbidden from seeing her again and she'll make things hard for him. How, you ask? She threatens to tell Elaine about them. He tells Ms. Robinson he doesn't think she'll do it, but after seeing how serious she seems about it, he hops out of his own car, just leaves it on the street, running in the rain towards the house. He goes upstairs and Elaine isn't even finished getting dressed yet. She doesn't even have on a shirt. First, he's trying to get her to hurry up and get dressed and meet up with him outside. But he hears Mrs. Robinson coming in and he quickly tells her the truth about him and her mother. She's in shock, of course, and screams at him to get out. As he's leaving, Mrs. Robinson stands wet and sad in the corner and only says, goodbye, Benjamin. And she really does look like a sad, wet dog. It's real sad. Now, as Scarborough Fair plays in the background, he spends the next few weeks driving by the Robinson home and trying to catch glimpses of Elaine, writing her name on pieces of paper a bunch of times, and finally seeing her drive back to Berkeley one day in the fall. So it seems to me like the sounds of silence is Ben's um, sort of contemplative song. April Come She Will is their affair song. And now Scarborough Fair is sort of like Elaine's song. The key line in the song being, she once was a true love of mine. Now here's a fun fact that actually has nothing to do with the movie, but I just have to throw this out here. I have been known to twerk to this song at karaoke. And if you've ever heard Scarborough Fair, that may be confusing, but shout out to Lizzie and David because they support my efforts. Anyway, he goes home, he packs a bag, and he tells his dad that he's going to go to Berkeley and he's going to marry Elaine. His parents are both ecstatic and ready to call the Robinsons to celebrate, but Ben reveals to them that they don't even know, and neither does Elaine, because she don't even like him. But this is a decision that he's made, his first real decision of the film. He drives to Berkeley and starts stalking the campus looking for her as Scarborough Fair plays in the background and finally spots her among all of those students there. But then he just runs away. Lols. Any hoodles, he gets a room at a halfway house close to campus and the guy who owns the place is immediately suspicious of him for no real reason. He ends up following Elaine for a while. You know, how, you know how like when you're a creep in a movie but it's okay when you're in love? that kind of following. So he ends up spotting her getting on a bus and decides to get on the bus as well, but he misses the bus. So he chases it down the street for a while until he stops. She can see him and she is not happy about it, but he will not let up on this bus. He finally gets on and sits right right behind her trying to have a half-assed conversation, but she is not really entertaining it and keeping it short. Once he finds out that she's meeting someone at the zoo, he decides he's going to go to the zoo as well. And she's obviously trying to figure out what he's doing there and visibly upset to see him. But he lies and says that they're just letting him sit in on classes at Berkeley and he's just kind of there. 
Suddenly, a very blonde man that introduces himself as Carl walks up, puts an arm around Elaine, and they walk away. Ben starts crying by the monkey house while Scarborough Fair plays in the background. Back at the halfway house, he's shaving when she, Elaine, busts in the door and asks what he's doing in Berkeley. He's like, why do you think I'm here? And she's like, are you here for me? And he's like, what do you think? And she's like, I think you are. And he's like, yeah. But she's like, you really have some nerve coming after what you did to my mom. He asks what the mom told her. And she says that the mother claims that he took advantage of her while she was drunk. He immediately starts telling her, oh, no, like your mom brought me upstairs to your room, started asking me to unzip her dress, all this mess. But obviously she don't want to hear any of that. And she starts screaming like someone is murdering her. He runs and hurries up and gets her a glass of water, but everyone in the halfway house shows up at the door to find out where the scream came from. Even though Ben and Elaine both apologize, the landlord tells him he wants him out just because he don't like him. So he goes to pack his things, but of course now Elaine feels bad, and she starts trying to talk to him and ask him what he's going to do and where he's going to go. And of course he doesn't know. He shuts down, doesn't want to talk, just like earlier in the hotel with his mom, even though Elaine is really trying to talk to him now. She finally decides to leave, but when she gets to the door, she tells him that she doesn't want him to leave the next day, not until he has a definitive plan, and she runs out the door crying. Later that night, he is knocked out naked with the door unlocked like a dum-dum, but this is a movie, so it's okay. And Elaine comes in. He wakes up startled, and she asks him if he'll kiss her. He comes over to kiss her, still kind of asleep, and then yawns in her face, but she doesn't mind, apparently. He asks her if she'll marry him. First she says no, then she says I don't know, but that's better than no, right? So he takes that I don't know as a yes. So she ends up telling him she's confused, but she'll see him the next day. He follows her from class to class, telling her they need to go get blood tests so they can get married, but he hasn't even, she hasn't even agreed to marry this man yet. At one point she walks into her class and he stands in the same spot until her class ends just to continue their conversation as soon as she walks out. And she's also kind of engaged to Carl already, so that's also complicated. This fool asked if Carl proposed in the car. What an asshole. Eventually, he walks her back to her dorm, they kiss, and he heads out to buy a ring, then back to the halfway house while Mrs. Robinson plays in the background. Of course, we have another fun fact here. So when they asked Simon and Garfunkel to come up with some original songs for this soundtrack, they were mad busy. So they ended up using three pre-existing songs, April Come She Will, Scarborough Fair, and The Sounds of Silence, but they needed one more song. So they were in the process of writing a song called Mrs. Roosevelt that was about Eleanor Roosevelt and like general times past, and the director did not care what the song was about. He just knew that Mrs. Robinson and Mrs. Roosevelt had the same number of syllables and sounded kind of the same. So they changed the name and the hit was born. The song has nothing to do with the movie or any of the themes of the movie, but it's really catchy, and it's called Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> Mrs. Robinson plays for most of our driving sequences from here on out. He gets there and to the halfway house, and Mrs. Robinson is sitting in the dark, waiting on him. Mrs. Robinson feels disrespected twice, first because Ben was with his wife, and now he's after his daughter. Mr. Robinson tells Ben that they're probably going to get a divorce. And this dummy says, but why? And Mr. Robinson looked like Soldier Boy on the Breakfast Club. Like, why? <laughs> I 
Ben tells him that what happened between him and Mrs. Robinson was like a handshake, which makes Rob Mr. Robinson even madder because why would you say that? And Ben says, I don't love your wife. I love your daughter. Mr. Robinson pretty much threatens to have him thrown under the jail if he ever comes near Elaine again. He calls Ben filth, scum, and a degenerate as he leaves. And of course, the landlord is standing there. Ben is trying to talk to him to use the phone, but the landlord literally tells him to get the hell out. We'll, we'll not entertain another moment with this man because I guess he had too much drama going on. So Ben leaves. He goes to pull up on Elaine at her dorm and they tell him that Elaine has been pulled out of school. But her roommate has a note for him that basically says she loves him, but it's much easier if she just leaves and they can never be together since her, her family hates him. He gets back in the car drives back to Pasadena and decides to break into the Robinsons home to see if he can see Elaine. Well, Elaine isn't there, but Miss Robinson is. She calmly goes to the phone and calls the police, then asks if he'd like a drink before the squad car gets there. He tells her that he'll find Elaine, but she tells him that she, basically she'll be married by the time he gets to her. Before he can get more info, he has to leave because the cops have pulled up. He drives back to Berkeley again, looking to see if Carl is around. He goes to Carl's frat house and asks where he is, and they tell him that he's getting married in Santa Barbara, and he also happens to find out that Carl's dad works in maternity ward. So he gets back in the car and heads to SB. He stops at a gas station in Santa Barbara and uses a payphone to call the hospital and talk to the maternity ward. Lies and says that he's the doctor's brother, and he's also officiating the ceremony, so he needs to know what church they at. He gets the name of the church and the street, so he takes off, not even getting any gas, just trying to get there. Halfway there, Mrs. Robinson, the song, not the person, starts to creep to a slow stop in the background as his car runs out of gas. So he gets out and just runs to the church in silence. No song playing in the background. My guy is sweaty, unshaven, a whole mess. He gets to the church. The front door is locked, but he manages to go upstairs and find a way in through the top. Looks down through a glass window to see Elaine kissing Carl, signifying that they are officially man and wife. You may kiss the bride. Ben starts knocking on the glass and loudly calling, Elaine, Elaine, like a deranged man, prompting everybody to look up at him like he's crazy, of course. Now, Mr. Robinson is pissed and ready to call the police, but Mrs. Robinson looks smugly satisfied because the wedding is done and she feels like it's too late. Elaine looks around in confusion because everybody's bitching about what's happening and she suddenly looks up and goes, he comes running down the stairs to get to her, but he's blocked off by her dad. Mr. Robinson gets a hold of him. He elbows him in the gut and makes a run for it. There is chaos in the church, and Elaine is fighting to get away. Her mother looks at her and says, it's too late. Elaine says, not for me, and Miss Robinson slaps her across the face twice in a row on the same side. Ben ends up grabbing a large cross to fight off the crowd. Then, they, after they get out of the door, they stick the cross in the handles of the door to barricade it shut once they leave. They're giggling, laughing, and they make a run for it. And since, of course, Ben's car is out of gas, they get on a random bus and just run and sit in the back. They're laughing, giggling about the whole ordeal, kind of looking lovingly at each other for a second. 
But then, as the sounds of silence begins to play once more, their smiles fade as they realize that they have no idea what they're about to do now. The bus rides off while everybody on the bus is kind of staring at them, looking at them crazy. And there our movie ends. So, let's talk. You know we have to talk. There's a lot of themes that we could discuss in this film, and I'm obviously not going to go through them all. Water, shadows, the montages, music. But what I do want to talk about is Ben's need for control, or more importantly, his need for choice, okay? From the beginning of the movie, he's not sure what he wants to do with his life. He's unsure of how to move forward. At the beginning of the movie, we even get a clear image of him on a moving sidewalk, meaning he's just moving through life automatically. He's not moving himself forward. Life is just propelling him forward on it, on his own, right? And these parties that his parents keep throwing, inviting their friends, are only reminding him of the looming fakeness and normalcy of adult life something that he's desperately trying to avoid. And at the start of the movie, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, all things that signify adulthood, parts of life that um, we associate with being a grown-up. And by the time he's at the hotel waiting for Mrs. Robinson, he's drinking, he's smoking, indulging in two societally adult behaviors before he dives into a most adult affair adulterous affair. So what does all this have to do with choice? At the start of the film, his parents are pushing him out into a party he doesn't want to attend. He's constantly being forced to talk to people he doesn't want to talk to. He doesn't like that. People are giving him life advice that he doesn't ask for, not interested. Mrs. Robinson asks him for a ride home, forces him to come in, pushes a drink onto him, definitely not thrilled. Even later on, as Mr. Robinson and his parents repeatedly push him to ask out Elaine, no bueno. He's not into any of this. But Mrs. Robinson offers him a choice. Her proposition is optional. If you don't want to sleep with me today, I'm available to you in case you'd like to. Just give me a call. This is the first and one of the few options that he's actually presented with in this film. So he feels comfortable exploring it because it isn't being forced on him. This is where Elaine gets complicated. Mr. Robinson and Ben's parents are both trying to push Elaine onto him. And of course, he's not a fan of that. He does not like being bullied. But Mrs. Robinson has been his one escape, his one oasis. So he feels a loyalty to her when she asks him not to date Elaine. However, once he realizes exactly how much he and Elaine have in common through conversation and generally because of their age, Miss Robinson becomes the authority that he has to defy. When she tells him in that car that he can't see Elaine anymore or she'll spill the beans, the only option that he can see with his character is telling Elaine the truth. Any other option allows the oppressive force being Miss Robinson to win. If he doesn't see Elaine again, he's lost. Mrs. Robinson wins. If he tries to go in and lie about it, he's lost. Mrs. Robinson wins. The only option he has is to tell her and face the consequences of his actions 
while also not letting Mrs. Robinson win and be able to expose it for him. Now, winning Elaine becomes the first goal that we actually see him have in the whole movie. You can actually see his face visibly change once he realizes that he has to get Elaine. That empty, bored, disengaged look that he has on his face the whole first half of the movie, it's gone. He's frantic. He's manic trying to get Elaine back. Until he wins her, the oppressor has still won. So he's willing to stalk, break into houses, lie, run miles just to get this girl, just to show everyone that he's good enough and he can accomplish something if he really wants to. The moment that it was implied that he wasn't good enough for her, that became the thing that he had to prove. Once he gets her at the end, the question stands, did they even really want each other? Or did they only want something that they were told that they couldn't have? We don't know. They only went on one date before they were forced away from each other. So honestly, it's possible that they don't even know. After all that, we still end in uncertainty, in the sounds of silence. And that's our film. This is one that I recommend seeing. I watched it for free with Prime, but I'm sure there are a number of outlets that will allow you to watch it for free or rent it as well. The visuals, the audio, the general vibe of the film are a timeless experience. And it is hard for me to describe some of the comedy of the film, but if you watch it, you will see definitely see why this is considered a romantic comedy. It's funny. Um... Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next week, uh, we're going to be headed back in time to chat about a sweet romantic comedy with problematic undertones. I know there are a lot of them, but this one, you'll want to be here for this one. Please follow the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and check out the at edge uh, and check out the at life pod Instagram. That's at H-L-A-Y-F pod Instagram. I'm sorry, it is late. I usually post movie stills and fun facts over there. Um, Our website is also up. Here's lookingpodcast.com. That's H-E-R-E-S-L-O-O-K-I-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Follow me on Twitter at film underscore Nikki and send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, general greetings, naked pitches, whatever you want to. Please don't send naked pictures. I can't deal with that. But send any other positivity, good things, or things that are helpful to Here's Looking Podcast at gmail.com. That's H E R E S L O O K I N P O D C A S T at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And really good morning because it is. 3.03 a.m. and I am headed to bed and I hope that you are getting enough rest and drinking water too and don't forget to refill your Brita filter. Cheers. <laughs>